Hey everybody, I'm Patrick. I'm Steven. And I'm Chris. And we are officially 60 movies into our journey to watch every fucking horror movie on Netflix. How do you guys feel about that? 60 movies. That's a big, it's a big milestone today. It feels like too many and too few at the same time. Yeah, like we've been doing this now. And also it's a, it's a big milestone-ish because we're about at our second anniversary of doing the podcast, right? Yeah. We started September Two years ago, right? Something like that. Or was it three? <laughs> I have no idea. I think it's it was two. two. It feels yeah, like three. Um, does that include the Halloween franchise, that that tally? That tally does not. No, that is just horror movies on Netflix that we have watched. It doesn't include Halloween. It doesn't include, I don't know, there were a couple other random episodes in there. So that's why we're at, we've done like 62 or 63 episodes or some shit, but we've actually as of today, watch 60 horror movies on Netflix. Yeah, it takes some effort to come up with that number, so I'm glad that you, you counted, because we are on... This is our 61st numbered episode, but then we mm-hmm. have, I think, two or three or four That were not officially numbered. Episodes. And then we have... Outside continuity. And then we have... Well, I guess I guess our interview with Neville kind of counts as, as 14 cameras, but we but that's you know, not technically a... Mm-hmm movie episode yeah you know i I consulted the accountants uh we had the impartial law firm standing by holding the briefcase with the official number in it which i know you guys were paralyzed with suspense for that to be open before we started here but yeah the tally's out cat's out of the bag and the the best movie we've seen so far la la land (laughs) get get it wait oh (laughs) oh wow that took me way too long (laughs) yes good job Speaking of cats being out of the bag, we're also joined tonight by a very special guest, Stephen's cat, Toby. Yeah, he's just um, making his rounds, pacing back and forth in Patrick's apartment, exploring everything he can get his paws on. The nature of having a cat in the studio is we could be lying and no one would ever know because cats are silent. That's yeah, the he best can thing be pretty cats. vocal, I don't know. Dude, if, if he, he jumped on this table, he would make some noise. You would, you would hear me making some noise. You'd yeah. hear me saying, hey! Get your ass out of here. <laughs> <laughs> now, Stephen, spell Toby's name for the listening audience. We've been over this on the show Have before. We? Well, it's T-O-B-E. Yeah. He's named after Toby Hooper, director of the first movie that fucked me up, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I've been thinking I want to watch that whole franchise this Halloween. I've only ever seen the first one. Uh, you what. only need to see the first two. Yeah. The second one is like a comedy, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm very curious about that. Anyways, uh, what brings us here? Enough today, about Patrick. all that. We are here because we all watched a nightmare. And um, why did we watch a night? The nightmare because I picked it. It's part of our new formula. Which, if you haven't listened listened in a little while, uh, you know we've got a new formula. We're not doing the A to Z bullshit anymore. We're taking turns picking a movie each episode. And I picked the nightmare this episode because Chris picked Dead Awake last episode which had a lot to do with sleep paralysis and the nightmare is a documentary all about sleep paralysis which i've been really curious to watch for a while steven had seen it previously chris mm-hmm. i know you said it's been in your queue for ages and it's been in mine for ages as well yeah so it was nice to finally have an excuse to watch this movie i was shocked that this movie was still on netflix because i feel like it's been in my queue since i got netflix yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where I first saw it. So it's the very definition of a cue. It I think I had in my queue <laughs> for like eight years. Yeah, finally watched it. Yeah, it's 
from the director Rodney Asher, who did Room 237, which is the movie about The Shining and all the different weird fan theories about The Shining, which I really want to see now that I've seen this movie. But I, I don't know. He also directed a vignette in ABCs of Death 2. Oh, that's right. right. Which one did he do? You guys didn't watch ABCs of Death 2. Oh, did we watch one? I yeah, we you, watched two you guys watched show. one, and I watched them both. Oh, okay. And Wait, I thought we watched two, and you watched the first one. Yeah, yeah, because it was ABCs of Death 2, and the first one was called The ABCs of Death. Yeah, I think that's right. Doesn't matter. What it, what's, what, tell me about the second <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, okay. uh, he directed Q is for Questionnaire. It was about a woman giving someone a questionnaire on the street, and it's intercut with oh, I remember that the one. guy getting his brain put into a yeah. monkey. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Into a monkey? Into an ape? Mm-hmm. I don't remember that shit and at all. It's like a guy in an ape suit. Yeah. Right? It was it's great. cheesy looking. Great. Very short. Very fun. Anyway, yeah. And this uh, movie, it's a documentary. It's our first... We did, in fact, watch ABCs of Death 2 for the show, by the way. Confirmed. Okay. Great. But I don't remember the segment in question. So this is the first time we've watched a non-narrative film, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's the first time, yeah, first time we watched a documentary. Another milestone for today. And uh, although it does have some, you know, uh, creative flourishes in it, it's not a straight-up documentary. No, it's a, it's what the Academy would call a nonfiction film, so that they wouldn't have to nominate it for an Oscar. Not yeah, the, that this film would be nominated for an Oscar, but <laughs> you get the point. Yeah, the basic concept is that we're examining the idea of sleep paralysis by talking to... Uh, I believe it's eight different yes. folks who are actual actual suffer, sufferers of sleep paralysis in real life. And as they tell their stories and their experiences, their nightmares that they've had while experiencing sleep paralysis, we see dramatic recreations of their dreams. Mm-hmm. That's the basic setup. And it starts in very dramatic fashion, actually. I was hooked for moment one, although I, it also briefly made me question, wait, is this movie actually about sleep paralysis? Because it's just about this sort of hallucinatory experience this guy had when he was a little kid, where he felt the, the TV was talking to him, and the news anchor was saying, you know, we'll come back for you. And it's engagingly done. You know, I was drawn in by the opening of this movie. There are a couple of segments in it that are not there. I was a little confused, especially in like the last section of the film. There's one that I I don't think was actually a dream. It sounds like the guy is talking about an actual like hallucination that he had in waking life. Mm. You know what I'm talking about with right. the, with the blue yes. ghost? Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But for the most part, though, it's 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 sleep paralysis. They do veer off yeah. a couple times to kind of more uh, you know maybe sleepwalking episodes, maybe hallucinations, maybe someone took too much drugs with his girlfriend. Yep, <laughs> but um. But for the most part, sleep paralysis. But I felt like, I don't know, at a disadvantage, I guess, watching this movie because I'm kind of, I know too much about sleep paralysis and I've already spooked Mm. myself reading about it on Wikipedia so many times that for the first beginning of this documentary, I was like, all right, yep. It's a, it's a thing, sleep paralysis. If I didn't know anything about sleep paralysis, I would imagine that this documentary would be a lot more riveting. Mm. Yeah, it's hard to say because I knew a fair amount the first time I saw it too. I knew very little. What was like? What were some of the things that you guys knew that you know spoiled it for you to a degree? I mean, I knew that there there are sort of there are a lot of sort of common visions that people have Mm. that kind of cross cultural boundaries, which is it's a spooky thing, and it's it's still spooky the way that that concept is um, communicated in this movie, but. And I just had a general sense of like what it is, what it feels like. I think there was actually a story on Risk 
several years ago for their one of their Halloween episodes that was like a direct account of a sleep paralysis dream, but it was told as if it actually happened. Yeah. So yeah, that was really striking to me the way there are these absolute like obvious parallels between almost everyone's experiences. You know, everyone discusses having this like tingling electrical sensation before it begins. So many people see, you know, what they describe as shadow men, you mm-hmm. know, sort of menacing them in their room and and they describe them so similarly too, you know, they talk about it seeming like an actual shadow personified they all describe it the same way and people describe this humming as this is going on and this just sense of a presence of evil around them and it was really fascinating to me how they all had to some degree the same experience you know it's almost enough to make you think that sleep paralysis is actually a communication with a different plane of existence an actual boogeyman Mm -hmm. and i think the documentary kind of leans in that direction a couple times in encouraging you to think that but i i wish i were that fun i i I just i just can't (laughs) allow myself to go there i think that it's just a people's imaginations and it's a medical condition and i think that when you you know the tropes that appear in these visions are tropes that are in our culture or maybe they're hardwired into our biology you know like oh everyone's seeing like claws in their dreams well it makes sense that we have a innate fear of claws (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. hardwired into our brains and the in the reptilian center of our heads Mm -hmm. one issue i had with this movie i I don't even know if i want to call it an issue because either one of you can poke a lot of holes in this criticism and i can myself but i found myself frustrated that there doesn't really seem to be any kind of like scientific authority figure or even concept baked into this movie it's just eight random people i don't know how the director found them i don't know who the guy is that's interviewing them it's not rodney asher and like what his oh, credentials are no i don't believe so i think rodney asher he's a younger guy um well that, that was rodney asher has actually had experiences with sleep paralysis that he discusses in the movie and that I also read about in real life, but go ahead. I'm going to look it up. I want to see if he looks like. The guy I didn't in the think movie. that was him, but, um, but but that's the point. We don't know who he is really, and he kind of just pops in a couple times late in the documentary as Early, the interviewer. Actually. That is him. Actually, that is him. Yeah. Oh, okay. wow! I thought he looked different face. for some reason. No, and it's odd too. Well, and this is a. You should you should finish your thought because I've got a whole different tangent about how these interviews are filmed. <laughs> well, okay, so one one thing I I do like about it is that it's just all right. Here's an account from eight people who suffered from this. For most of them, I didn't really care. Like you don't really seem like one. You seem like you do too many drugs. No wonder you have weird dreams. <laughs> or like you, one person actually admits that they lived in an abusive household and they blame that for it. But for the rest of them, we don't really get a sense of like what this actually means in their lives and why they're telling their story there are cut there like with especially with eight talking heads in this movie like not everyone has a satisfactory arc well yeah i i didn't need a scientific expert in the movie that's i i don't know i i I almost liked that it didn't have that because it makes the condition more mysterious and it just i feel like it leans into a whole different documentary trope if you've got you know dr so-and-so popping in to explain what sleep paralysis is i agree with you but on the other hand this is where i told you earlier i feel like the you have film dr like, sleep popping in yeah right <laughs> this is where i feel the film is like kind of ethically suspect though i don't think it's like a serious enough topic for me to be upset about it but really it's just people who've suffered from it like complaining about it and telling you about it like there's no 
there's no resolution really for any of them. It's just it's just a movie where people tell you about something that happened to them. And if there's one thing that I generally find boring, it's hearing people discuss their dreams at length. Uh, well, some of these you, are more entertaining than others. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, uh, but there is no resolution for these people, though. That, that's part of the point and part of the horror of all this is that, like, these, you know, some of these people are just like, I'm like the one guy at the end sort of horrifyingly is just talking about how this is going to kill him. Yeah. You know, no one like the, the, the horror of this is there is no solution identified in real life. The interesting thing about reviewing a documentary is the, our criticisms can approach the movie from all sorts of different angles that don't apply to a a narrative film, including these issues of the the lenses of the the filmmaker and, and what they're trying to do and what information they're including and what information they're excluding. Personally, just because, like I've just said, I'm skeptical of the whole thing, I would have appreciated seeing a scientific authority. Uh, I think maybe a scientific authority would be useful if the movie's actually attempting to explain what sleep paralysis is, but I don't think that's really the documentary's intention. I think it's really just trying to get us to sympathize with these characters or these people, I should say, and get us to imagine what it's like to have sleep paralysis and how terrifying it is and, and to relate it. the terror through the visuals and everything. Yeah. Some of some of those scenes are great. I, I liked some of the reenactments. Some of them were a little cheesy looking and um, like a little too like low budget or well, some, weird of, effects, some of the visions sounded a little cheesy. That's true as well. So. Yeah. I mean, especially like the, the, prototypical like gray alien sequence i mean by the admission even of the dreamer though like he was trying to draw you know these aliens they look like traditional like roswell aliens except their skin is like television static and they have these big smiles on their faces yeah and he's you know drawing it for asher and his crew drawing what these aliens look like and he even says as he's drawing it it just feels so silly to draw this like this is just going to look so silly if i draw it that's one of the and i wouldn't say this is a flaw of of the movie i guess it's one it's just one reason that like I again I I did enjoy watching it but I I felt like it could have been a little something more like you've all I'm sure we've all had that experience where we have like a terrifying nightmare but we can't communicate to anyone in words like the emotional impact of these like seemingly benign occurrences in the dream like on paper it just sounds ridiculous but for some reason you had a you had like a deep feeling of terror at like seeing your reflection in the mirror in a dream but you can't explain why you just felt it it's just like pure id and there's a lot of that going on in this movie too but that guy i found very entertaining because he seemed to understand like yeah i know this sounds silly but this is the best I can do. And I thought that the movie did a good job for the most part. At least I don't know how it could have done a better job of trying to convey that intangible terror of nightmares. Part of it is the, is the dramatization. The, well, yeah, yeah. The, through the dramatizations. Yeah. And even things like, you know, we know when someone's actually experiencing sleep paralysis, they're not actually like writhing in their bed. You know, their, their, their motor functions don't work. Yeah. But you see a lot of that in this documentary and the reenactions because it's attempting to depict the subjective experience of the person who's having the vision. Well, yeah. Cause I mean, multiple people described that their perception was that they were moving or even the one guy talks about how in the dream, he put all this energy into just trying to roll himself over onto his girlfriend so that she might wake him up or something. And he made it, he rolled on top of her, but then he woke up and he was still just laying on his back, like not on top of her at all. So they, yeah. it's, that's also fascinating to me how they have these perceptions of having moved or tried, tried to move in the dream when they're actually frozen in real life. There is like a lifetime channel movie quality to this where I don't know that I really believe 
ruined everyone's story. Did anyone else feel that way? Not really. I mean, I don't know. You may have one kook out of the eight, I guess. I had no interest in trying to debunk any of our narrators. I, I didn't either, but I, I don't know. And I can't think of a, a specific example. There were a couple of points where I was just like, I don't know. I kind of feel like you're you're here for the attention. Let me say this. I believed the experiences of everybody. Okay. I did not think that all their experiences were necessarily sleep paralysis. Okay, that's closer to my thinking. <laughs> or that yeah. some of them weren't crazy or some of them weren't on drugs. Well, the one, the one, the bearded dude was like definitely on too many drugs. <laughs> he admits it at the end of the movie. Some the of one them, who draws the aliens? Yeah. Okay. Some of them had, had very extreme experiences involving them, like walking around their houses and, and stuff like that. Well, the interesting I, question I think the logical for me, explanation for all of this is they were all simply abducted by aliens. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> no, the interesting thing for me is like, okay, and in this, the movie does get into it, but not quite enough to my satisfaction. But then again, when you do interviews with people, you, you can only get so much material. You know, you can't. If you're a decent documentarian, you're not going to like direct the subject to say something just to fit in your movie. But with, with some of the subjects, I wondered like, like how many of them have sleep paralysis because of experiences they've had because of trauma and how many of them just like happen to have sleep paralysis and how deeply has it affected their lives like one of the most effective dream sequences for me came kind of toward the end the guy who said that he thinks that sleep paralysis is going to kill him in the end yeah this is a hard movie to kind of talk about be without sort of uh revealing some of the surprises and some of the narrative turns of these people's stories so I think what we're going to do is go to the spoiler room. We're just going to review this thing because if people are, are interested in sleep paralysis, they're going to want to check out this movie probably and experience the thrills on their own. That's a good idea. Um, we'll, I mean, that's we'll, what, that's we'll what sold me on the, the movie. That's all I would need to know to decide whether or not I wanted to see this. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's Especially once they hear our reviews, they'll know whether or not they want to watch it. And then if, we, if you want to hear us talk some more, you know where to find us. We'll be in the goddamn spoiler room. So, Chris... What did you think? View it, cue it, or screw it? I'm actually going to give it a view it, I think. It wasn't amazing. It kind of bored me in some places. It kind of dragged. As far as a documentary, as, as far as what it was trying to do, which is to make a pseudo-documentary that really captures the subjective experiences of these eight terrified people and the spooky things they see at night. I think it does a really good job. It does a really good job of maintaining an atmosphere, even in the staged documentary interview scenes. And the visuals are very creepy. There's some good spooks. There's some good scares. There's some things that I'm going to be seeing in the corner of my room tonight as I fall asleep. So... If you're if you're at all interested in the subject matter, I'll give it a view it. Or if you're a shadow man yourself and want to see things from, you know, the other side's perspective. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Steven, view it, cue it, or screw it. I give it a cue it. I, I liken this film in my mind to an anthology movie just because of its sort of the because of the premise. It's eight different people's stories about sleep paralysis. And like any anthology movie, especially a horror anthology, um, some of the sequences are more effective than others. Some of the arcs are more interesting and satisfying than others. But on the whole, I didn't like this the first time I saw it. I had a lot more fun when I watched it for the podcast, especially sort of the final the final act and some of the the emotional revelations therein. Well, it rubbed you wrong the first time, that, and what changed the second time? I think the first time I was too hung up on, like, 
who who are these people? What is this movie trying to say about sleep paralysis? Is it trying to say anything, or is it, does it just think that like this is a hot button topic that people are going to be interested in, and it was cashing in on that at a time when that was something that that people were discussing with more frequency than they had before. And also I studied documentary in college. So like, I'm like when I see movies like this and I watch a lot of documentaries, sometimes it's really hard for me to separate from analyzing the, the craft and, and the motivations, um, the filmmakers motivations. So this time around, I decided I'm just going to have fun. I'm going to smoke a little weed. I'm going to pretend <laughs> that these, I'm going to just going to like soak it in and really try and put myself in the shoes of these people and, and really choose to believe their stories and be immersed in the reenactments of their nightmares. And I had a blast. Nice. It's not a perfect film. It's not a great documentary even, but I don't think it's a waste of time either. Patrick, would you view it, cue it, or screw it? I would give it a cue it. I had some problems with the way this was filmed. Some of the reenactments struck me as sort of cheesy and... Uh, I thought in a lot of cases, maybe even most cases, there were just certain creative choices you could have made to make these reenactments a lot more effective. Mm -hmm. I did feel it was a little shapeless as far as it didn't seem... I I was gripped to at least some degree by the initial tellings of people's experiences, but as it went on, I didn't feel like there was a lot of forward momentum i felt like it was spinning its wheels a little bit that said it's a very interesting concept that does come off well in many sequences and there are some very interesting interview subjects and you know what this movie while i didn't necessarily feel it too much while i was watching it freaked me the fuck out i and this rarely happens to me but i woke up several times the night after i watched it and was just like in bed hearing the littlest noise and like oh my god is that that humming noise that people talk about am i going to feel the presence of evil around me is that thing in the corner of my room a shadow man because it's very real it's so much realer than like your average horror movie because it could happen to you this one guy tells a story at the end of the movie uh, towards the end of the movie about telling his friend about his experience and her texting him a couple days later saying i hate you are you the thing that was happening to you mm-hmm. is happening to me now and he talks about it and does a sleep transmitted disease and std and i was like fuck did i catch sleep paralysis just from watching this movie I so to- it fucked with me it was it turned out it was effective even though i didn't feel it being super effective as i was watching it so i was wondering if maybe that's in the plus column for it i was wondering if maybe the movie should have played that up more like this is the most dangerous movie you'll ever see it could give you sleep paralysis (laughs) i will say sleep transmitted disease is the only note i took during this entire movie (laughs) and and it inspired me to start writing a treatment for a screenplay so hey nice good but you know i think uh i think people are going to look back on this movie uh years from now and it's it's going to stand up as a very stark portrait of what life was like around the world before CBD. (laughs) Well, on that note, let's uh, go down to the spoiler room. If you're not joining us down there, go hit the social media, follow Amoncast, E-H-M-O-N cast on all your social media app things the socials, that you use. All them. the socials, yeah, yeah. As, we, as we the kids like to call them. And also go on Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast app is and give us a review. We, we would like that love and it helps other people find the show. And um, if you want to give us some money, we'll take it. Yeah, you know, we'll... Bitcoin is preferred. We'll but. figure out a way to accept that money. We'll, we'll take your money, however you want to get it to us. <laughs> Alright, let's go down to the spoiler room, boys. All right. We'll see you soon.
Hey guys, we're back. We're down the spoiler room. Just what? Oh, I, I, I just I don't like it at all. What is it? What what the hell is that thing? Oh, Chris was over here shaking his head. I thought we had audio issue audio issues. This is a really weird looking music box that I just happened to garbage pick the other day. I saw a ukulele sticking out of a, a box near the dumpster and dug through it. And this haunted as fuck looking music box was in it. Well, it's not a music box. I don't know what you call this thing. It I has little metal keys. Oh, yes. that Did you, you take play. the uke too? And no, I didn't. It was a little busted. Like it, it was not. It was not going to work. Oh. Um, but this works just fine, and all the all the notes are like weirdly dissonant minor key. There's like I don't know. It's a Mixolydian scale or something. I don't know. It's what the cursed fuck it is. as hell. Yeah, keep I, it away from me. I texted the it video. It looks like a coffin, kind of. It does. I texted a the video of coffin. it. I texted a video of it to Chris, and he was like, "That is absolutely haunted." And I agree. I mean, I think this yeah, that is straight out of the Conjuring universe. Yeah, friend. yeah, holy shit! That thing's gonna get its own movie soon. <laughs> Just give it a couple of months. If you, if you guys want to see what this shit looks like, go to our Instagram. There's a video of it out there. If you're having trouble finding it, it's the thing that looks like a fucking coffin. Jesus, so, and that's that. But anyways, back to the nightmare. Back Let's to the nightmare. Pick up wherever we left off, Christine. I think you were starting to say something about the dude who is is convinced that his sleep paralysis nightmares whatever are going to kill him eventually. yeah and this dude you know what i before i even get into like the dream he has because i literally have one sentence to say about it like we were talking earlier about like how these are like sh- how these everyone's interviewed differently there's a way like they're all shot differently mm. his sequences are shot with like this very kind of in your face moving camera did you guys notice that See, from what I remember, that was either it's half his shots are like Skype calls, and the other half are there are some Skype calls, a somewhat yeah. more stable camera. Are you thinking of the guy from Michigan? Because that one, the camera moves all over the fucking place. I'm thinking those. of the guy with the checkered shirt who okay. says at the end that he thinks that the yeah. the dreams are the guy who the, like the TV spoke to him at the beginning. Was that him? Well, yeah, I, think I don't know. I don't remember anything about everyone. But like the way it's shot, I found it was really interesting because he seemed like the most unhinged of the whole group, and he's the one who thinks sleep paralysis is going to be the death of him. Mm. And the camera is just like it seems like drunk, and it's kind of like it's not moving around wildly, but it's kind of like close to his close to his face or his like you know chest upward, and it seems to kind of like move with him, and it feels unstable and unsafe in the same way that his recountings of his dream do. Well, the, I thought it was a smart choice. The bizarre thing about this movie, this is the only documentary I've ever seen that is shot at, I don't know the aspect ratio, the widest possible fucking aspect ratio that's ever been invented. Hmm. Like, I don't even want to say it's like 270. It's, it, it's, it's, it's like, it's like you're watching a, a Western. It's like, it's like you're looking through RoboCop's visor <laughs> at this movie. <laughs> it's like two thirds of the screen is just black. You're looking through this mail slot and it's, it's a totally inappropriate aspect ratio for a documentary, especially one where you're, you're interviewing people in their like, confined bedrooms because you end up with either shots where there's just a shit ton of negative space and they're framed like a medium shot or it's like super close up and they're like taking up too much of the frame and they're like foreheads chopped off yeah the one guy from scotland all the shots of him are a very tight close-up where he's staring directly dead on into the camera yeah it is sort of he looks just like oh god i don't even know if we should keep this in the podcast but like i he looks just like slimy and in like just like totally like broken and haunted he's, he's, got, he he's like very like red around the eyes and he looks just like wet <laughs> or he moist. does he does look 
disturbed, which I mean, all yeah. these people are for, you know, sure. I, you know, very understandable reasons. And it's an, so, it's an uncomfortable topic for them to be discussing. Some seem more comfortable than others, but the one that really interested me was the guy from Michigan who had the kind of bushy goatee. This yeah. is the guy who tries I feel to like roll I know over. that guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we've grown we've up all met. Row. Yeah. We've yeah. all met that guy living in Michigan, living the, uh, the anti-birth lifestyle. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's but, a little. Maybe we're being slightly classist there. He seems like a fine gentleman. We're being we're being crass for sure. <laughs> uh, that one was really interesting to me because the camera roves around his house and at one point even just kind of like moves into the next room and gets a shot of Rodney Asher interviewing him and like films the guy through a mirror and at one point he's just like standing in his living room seemingly like talking to no one as he's recounting this story it's he's got a there's weird some house. wild wild camera movements and camera shots for that subject his house looks like an abandoned motel and yeah. like chris was saying there's like tons of negative space like there's a, a scene mm-hmm. that's in like a it looks like some kind of like den or something but there's almost no furniture in it and He's, like, dwarfed by the space, and there's, like, Mm -hmm. spotlights on him and stuff. It's really It's dramatic. It's interesting, and that's what I'm talking about when I say that it preserves the mood. I mean, you feel like you're in a nightmare just listening to these people talk. Well, that's kind of how Errol Morris used to, like, in the early days, did his... And this movie kind of owes a little bit, as most modern documentaries do, to his use of dramatization. But he also would, like treat every home he visited or like the spaces where he would interview people as like as he called it like that person's own smithsonian exhibit mm-hmm. so he would like m- find the place where they were most most comfortable and like organize things to fill the frame in an interesting way so that it was unique to each person and like reflective of their personality and this movie has that in spades yeah, and I mean, the lighting is really interesting, too. As you guys were talking about, like, there's some creepy-ass, like, underlighting and just... I, I, I'm not a lighting professional, so I don't know how this shit works, but a lot of it looks nightmarish. And others are, like, warmly lit daylight streaming through the windows. Um, I don't know. It's all over the place. And, and, I, and for the most part, I like it. There's a few that I feel like could have been a little more distinctive, especially because a couple of them are so wild in the way that they depict the subjects. But They're bound to, like, the time that they were able to shoot and where they were shooting. I yeah. Think. Yeah. So they made, I think they made good use of space all around. Yeah. The, so, um, yeah. The non-interview segments, though, look like a million damn dollars. Really? I yeah. thought so. Yeah, I was mixed. Oh. I thought some were more effective than others, but like, yeah. well, there's sure. one where like the 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 um, the shadow man like looks fucking great, but then there's a shot where you can totally see the seams in his outfit. Yeah, but um, isn't that the same shot where the shadow man is like transitioning between rooms on a set? No, because there, there is a shot where the shadow man does transition between rooms on a set, and it's clearly that, pulling back. The no, veil. this is like the shadow man like on top of someone, and like it looks really fucking cool. He's like climbing up to the bed, and then in the next shot, it's like they just didn't use whatever digital effect they used before yeah. to make him completely black. Well, I thought it. I thought ninety percent of the reenactments and the surreal sort of visions and the TV studio stuff looked great. It made me almost want to see a full-length film by this director yeah but then i remembered that it's a lot easier to make 10 minutes worth of movie look like a million damn dollars well what was really cool to me is like with the whole studio setup is this feeling and i don't know if the movie like 
I feel like it could have capitalized on this more. The idea that this is like all part of some sort of like shared dream menace universe sort of thing. Like these things are like walking from one person's dream to the other. Or they're passing through the studio. Yeah. I didn't like, understand the intention of, of showing us that side of this production. I thought maybe we were going to get some reactions from the, from the people to saying, Oh wow, this is amazing. I'm brought to tears because you just, depicted what i've been seeing i really that's liked, interesting i really like that yeah i really liked that shot it's it, to me maybe the best shot in the movie because it's it's beautifully lit and the way the camera moves is fascinating as as the shadow man moves from one person in one set to another and you see him walk through a studio like back well not a back lot but the back side of the set and you know his costume has changed um, but yeah, it has broader implications. It raises questions that it doesn't quite answer as far as mm-hmm. what that's supposed to mean. But I liked, I would have, I've, I would have liked more of that in the movie seem to see more shots like that and to have that become a little more of a running theme, you know? Yeah. And, totally. and to have the meaning of that articulated a little more, but yeah, I don't know. I, I was not on the whole overwhelmed with those scenes. There were some that were really good. There were others where just the CG, was not impressive to even me. like the tv static aliens i'm like i don't know i feel like there's a way that you could do that on a low budget that would look more dreamlike and cool it just looks silly to i me. think they took the static skin a little too literally but it, yeah. again you're, you're being described something that's that's just so out of this world that how do you make it look convincing do you ever get this so like i read a lot of science fiction and fantasy and horror stuff obviously and I often wonder, like, sometimes when I'm reading a short story, I imagine I'm directing a, an adaptation of it in my head, and I hear this really vague description of, like, like a terrifying, like, Cthulhu-like creature, and I'm like, I don't know how I would do that. I would have to hire, like, a really good art director to just figure that problem out for me. I think this movie, I wouldn't say suffered from that a little bit, but... I, I understand that it is challenging to go from somebody describing something that they saw in a dream that they can like barely articulate in words to like making that a presence on the screen in these reenactments. Yeah, that's got to be for sure. Maybe for it sure. would have been more effective if you didn't see so much of those like static monsters. If you saw the guy explaining them, you saw his crude sketches, and he's like, "No, this doesn't do him justice. Not scary enough." And then you just saw the reenactment, but it's like from you know the close up on the child, and you see like a staticky glow off screen or something. Mm. I don't know. Maybe that would be more effective, but that also goes against the whole intention of the movie, which is literally depicting the visions that these people are having. So, and here's my main problem with the way all these scenes are staged in the first place is I did not find, and again, we know that this movie had more of an effect on me in the long run, but as I was watching it, I was not super affected and not super scared. And I think the two things that took me out of it were having the people continue to narrate those sequences as they played out Mm -hmm. and also seeing physically like the representation of that person. Like you see them in bed, like frozen still and trying not to breathe. I was like, give me this from that point of view without the narration and maybe have the person kind of debrief on it after we see that sequence. Right. And I felt like it would be more position maybe. Yeah. And I felt like it would be more gripping than like having this person in the background being like, Oh, and then I saw this, uh, um, well, and this is going to sound kind of crazy, but I saw this, uh, you know, it kind of takes you out of it to have this person like kind of haphazardly, trying to explain something the way I'm trying to explain this uh, concept right now. I liked it actually. They They should do it in VR. Yeah, <laughs> there's a there's a VR headsets at my job. I don't work with them very often, but um, I was playing with one one day. And there's a there's a game or a, a application called Face Your Fears. And I was like, 
I was just trying to check it out, but I accidentally like bought and downloaded it. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's hate funny. it when that happens. Um, but uh, the from the looks of it, and I didn't get, I didn't actually do any of it. But it looks like it just puts you in a like a it's a video game sort of reality. It's virtual reality, and it puts you like in an airplane that's crashing. It puts you like underwater an airplane that's crashing what a horrifying simulator i know it's called face your fears and Damn. then there's one like what's the benefit of facing that particular <laughs> fear <laughs> that you'll be okay when your plane crashes it'll give you less anxiety about yeah. flying because you, you've already been through a crash um and, and then there's one where that looks like a night the sleep paralysis like there's one where it's like you're in bed and there's like something with red eyes watching you from the closet oh that's horrifying i know except you can still move yeah well you can move your head you can't move you can't move your body it's all point of view it's like 360 video oh anyway okay anyway i want to try that but 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 yes the nightmare in for optimized for oculus rift i want to see that but i thought all the stuff was i mean not all the stuff but there were some visuals like i said in my review this was scary to me and you know any horror movie that leaves an image in my mind that scares me when i think about it is a is a good horror movie so, I, I agree, because mean, horror, good horror movies are few and far between, and this movie left an indelible impression upon me. I'm afraid of the man with the hat, mm. and I'm afraid... I'm the, the thing, I mean, the scariest scene in the movie for me is when the guy's sleeping, he has a horrifying dream of a like a demon with glowing red eyes standing on his chest, talking all kinds of shit. And in then, a different language. In English, to him. Oh, I thought that was the one that was talking about. And then he language. wakes up, and he wakes up to a scream of the girl next to him just a friend yeah he's sleeping with two women <laughs> in his with bed two women completely platonically because they I, were having I, a party i wanted to know so much more about that situation <laughs> i ran that back i was like wait why are these why are these two women in your bed it's neither here nor there but she wakes up screaming because she just had sleep paralysis or a night terror yes. of a cat with red eyes yeah. on yeah. her chest looking at him and talking shit in a in a language she couldn't understand and that was one of the good visuals to me that was that was a memorable horrifying visual. yeah I horrifying here standing on end talking about it and you know one of the things i think that unnerves me so much about some of this stuff they i was so glad that they actually made a reference to the mothman one of my greatest Mm. personal fears i'm fucking terrified of the mothman did you face that in that vr game is there a mothman (laughs) simulator if there were oh man oh my god anyway but they're like yeah and they're like "The, the scariest thing about it is that it's just watching you I'm like, yeah, that's the scary thing about the Mothman. He just watches. Right. Why is he watching? What Why? What are it? his intentions? Michael Myers comes at you with a knife. You know his intentions. You just run away. You know what? The you scariest just... thing about this movie, Rodney Asher. What are his intentions? <laughs> <laughs> he's just watching these people. He's just listening. What's he about? I think the intentions are clear. You know, he's just trying to create a little entertainment product that, that spooks you out. Yeah, I ended I ended up feeling like pretty bad for some of the subjects though. Like, yeah, I don't know if this documentary is made. You know, it's not a philanthropic most... effort. Not nor should yeah. it because that would also be an ethical problem. There's probably no doctors doc, but... in this movie because all the doctors. No, one guy does see a doctor and get medication. And right, I think but it helps there's, there's no one on camera because probably oh. all the doctors they came in contact with, with. No, do not interview him about these experiences. He he has a psychosis. <laughs> You're going to make him worse. He'll never well, shut up. They also there's also a whole s- uh, segment of the film where they talk about like 
their experiences trying to get professional help and how most of the time what they're met with is the professional just saying, as, as one person says, direct quote, that's really messed up. Like he was trying to talk yeah. to his therapist about it and she, he or she kept changing the subject. And, and the guy tried to keep the therapist on point and the therapist just finally goes, yeah, that's really messed up. Like they had nothing to offer him, you know? You guys know what's really messed up? What? I kind of wish I could have sleep paralysis at least once. Oof. I love nightmares. I love to have them. I know, like, I feel as terrified as one should during and after a nightmare. And I've had nights where I wake up and I don't realize, I guess it is kind of like sleep paralysis. I think that the nightmare was reality and I'm trapped in bed and I can't move. And then I go back to sleep and the nightmare resumes and then I wake up and rinse and repeat. But it's great for the imagination. Like as a creative person, like this stuff is, is good fuel for me. And I like the feeling of being scared when it seems like we live in an age where like we've figured everything out. Like mm-hmm. our science has taken us as far as it can possibly go or pretty damn close to it. I like the idea that I can still get scared. Like there's something left unknown in, in the world, not just the universe, but like our world that we live in mm-hmm. that can still creep me out and get under my skin. I, I would if there was a sleep paralysis simulator, which it sounds like there's something like it, sign me up. Okay. You know, I, I, I don't disagree with the things you said, but I'm just going to say, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> I can handle it, honestly, as a... I'm um, not like these eight assholes. I can handle it. No, as someone who has suffered from a mental illness since my early teens, I think I can handle it. It doesn't sound nearly as bad as the things that happen to me, like, while I'm awake. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, all right. One thing that didn't terrify me in this movie was the whole sequence where the guy's talking about the really crazy girl that he dated who was like in oh drugs or whatever. And they like, like, they're, they're living on the edge of sanity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is exactly. I think I, that's a direct quote. I feel like he talked for maybe 15 more minutes about just the girl and they cut it out. And like, I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, sure, the girl was crazy, but uh, don't throw her into the bus. You're crazy too, bud. And there's this whole sequence where they go out to the woods, make a stone circle, and a blue what is it a blue it's uh, like um, it's like the shadow man but it's blue yeah it's like altered states it's like the the final form of of human evolution <laughs> that yeah. was a really silly looking sequence to well, me that it was looked so like a bad just, like, music painted video. over yeah like it was clear there's just like a couple of squiggly lines that kept moving but that was spooky too because the, the 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 benevolent blue demon is like oh and one more thing don't worry about the demons behind you. And, and she's he looks smiling. And, and he sees yeah. all, his, all, his, all his nightmare demons chilling in the woods. Well, not all right. He sees life, aliens behind In waking him. life. Like, I the love story that. itself was really interesting and creepy, but that depiction, I was completely out of it because it looked so silly. I don't know. You guys seem to got, get I liked it. on I liked stuff. that one. Did I you? really And I liked that it was in black and white, but there was a little splash of color, even though it was huh. kind of cheesy. I felt like that was a deliberate choice to make it look like kind of a series of squiggly lines in the background. Um, yeah, like that was actually one of the most chilling moments in the movie when he says that his girlfriend, while smiling and with her eyes closed, says, she's coming. And then, but don't worry about the demons behind you. I, I, they gave me chills. Even if the yeah. aliens look kind of silly when they appeared again in it's the f- fucking Bahamas or wherever it was. That's uh, a good campfire story. Let me let me tell you where I'm coming from and why maybe I have a higher tolerance for these cheesy reenactments. Throughout the 1990s, once my house finally got satellite dish and I had access to cable TV, I every Saturday 
I would watch Sci-Fi Channel and watch such series as Beyond Belief, Factor Fiction, and Sliders. Not Sliders. Like five other like non-fiction shows that were all about paranormal activity in our world. I I, I don't remember the names of them all, but I wish I did. Shows with names like I miss those days of television, like, especially the Sci-Fi yeah, Channel. Yeah, like like Encounters of the Unknown and stuff like that. Where it'd always be the same, like unsolved mysteries type stuff. Where there's like one guy and he's like. You won't believe what happened to this girl in Arizona. And then it cuts to a reenactment of her, like, seeing her dead grandma in the cemetery. And, oh, yeah. my God. All 100% cheesy. And it was a year terrifying. when it was, like, all Chupacabra stories. Oh, Chupacabra. <laughs> Highway 666 was my favorite. You ever, you ever <laughs> yeah. you've heard about Highway yeah. 666? Yeah. Have you heard about Highway 666? No. All right. I'm going to tell you about Highway 666. I want to say that, like, it had some superlative title. Like, it was, like, the longest section of something, something road. But... Highway 666 runs through the Southwest, not to be confused with Route 66, mm-hmm. and it had more automobile deaths than like anywhere else. Mm. It was a road of death. Mm. You drive on Highway 666 and you die. It was a Sci-Fi Channel movie. Oh, of, was of, it? Highway 666, yeah. Doesn't surprise me. But yeah, Chupacabra, that stuff, pilots going, Bermuda Triangle. Oh my God. The Bermuda Triangle yes. was a constant stressor in my childhood me too <laughs> i had books about this shit i was like i'm going to get on a plane to florida i was like this is why i don't travel <laughs> yes yes like it seems much like the evil eye like i was talking about a few weeks ago yeah it's these little like niche paranormal trivia bits that had such an outsized influence on my upbringing like i thought that they were like things to worry about hmm. the bermuda triangle what is it what happens if you fly there? Sounds like hell. Anyway, so when I see a couple people in a in a in a movie and there's some CGI effects that look like dog shit and there's a demon <laughs> talking to him from the woods, I'm like, yeah, I feel at home. I'm terrified. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Another interesting thing is there are some interesting variations in the way that these reenactments are depicted. There's the one guy whose many of his reenactments are depicted as still photographs from, you know, sort of aged to look like they're from the 90s. You guys remember the one I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. That's the guy who, like, sees a, a, a kid he went to school with in his one dream or whatever. Oh, my God. That actually really creeped me out, the way that, like, in dreams... In dreams, I talk to you. Um, in dreams, like sometimes, like a figure can appear, and it like has the feeling of a person that you know, but it doesn't look anything like them. And I feel like his yeah. dream, his description of the dream embodied that the best. Oh yeah, and, and that interested me because I liked the approach of the still photographs. I didn't feel they were necessarily that effective in depicting his story, but I still liked the variation in the way these things were being depicted but it also seemed like a little kind of too little too late because everything else was shot in fairly similar fashion up until that point and then about halfway through the movie we get the first of these series of still photographs and i would have because as we talked about like the way the individual interviews are shot are so different and we appreciated that and i i like the idea of kind of shooting each person's dreams in a noticeably different way yeah, yeah. You, you could have one be claymation yeah you could have had one be found footage surveillance camera yeah you could shot have, by gerald you could have had one that was puppets <laughs> I, I don't know but yeah that was weird i was like what's the intention behind the yes. stylistic change maybe they just ran out of money i don't know yeah which is why i i don't know this the, 
this is why it's a cue it for me. It's just an interesting experiment where, you know, Asher plays with a lot of different things, but it doesn't cohere into like what feels like sort of a consistent artistic vision or a consistent point. That was room 237 for me as well. Yeah. 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 I mean, I would encourage that's another solid cue it. If you're interested in The Shining, mm-hmm. if you're interested in sort of conspiracy not even conspiracy theories, but like if you like to hear wild interpretations of classic films that might not align with your own, check it out. But it is kind of a massive a movie. It doesn't really have a cohesive like tone or style. Mm-hmm. Some of these subjects in the documentary have actual kind of arcs where they find a resolution. Even if the resolution in the in the ultimate case is the guy saying, "Well, I figure I'm just going to die this way." Mm-hmm. That you know that that's kind of the note that the film ends on kind of a downer beat. But before that, you find some people who have, you know, kind of found their own closure, including um, a woman who was like an atheist and became so scared during one of her experiences Mm -hmm. that she prayed to Jesus and then all the visions went away and now she's a Christian. Mm -hmm. I need to offer a counterpoint to that because I had a friend who experienced real sleep paralysis and was visited by a demon that was terrifying and one of, and she was also atheist and on one occasion this demon scared her so much that she started reciting a prayer in her head at which point the demon started laughing and crossed himself as if to mock her <laughs> <laughs> wow so it just made the vision more terrifying in her experience so Try it if you have sleep paralysis, but your mileage may vary. It may make your nightmare more scary. <laughs> that was a nice rhyme. I liked it. Yeah, thank you. Wait, I forget. Did her sleep paralysis go away overall after that? Yes. Was she the one who's like a vlogger now and doesn't want to talk about yes, her sleep paralysis? which I yeah. thought was interesting because in Dead Awake, our hero became a vlogger. Yeah. I, I think they must have watched this before they made Dead Awake. Hmm. I think it's just such a common trope. I mean, like, I'm writing a screenplay with somebody right now where, like, I've had to argue not for one of the characters to be a vlogger because it's just such a convenient trope. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, it is is a big thing. I mean, it's a horror movie. They might have seen this. It was pretty popular for a minute. And and also, I thought it was interesting that none of these subjects, we don't really... I thought it was interesting that we don't really see anything else about their lives, you know, we don't even know if they're married. They all have like pretty nice places. And I'm like, what do you do? Like, yeah. you seem like you're, I mean, you, I was going to say you seem like you're paralyzed. I mean, like literally they have a sleep paralysis. I'm like, what? <laughs> how do you like function? Like, how are you now? Like, it's kind of like an it where like the kids all grow up to become like extremely successful in spite of the trauma they suffered as children. <laughs> well, I wasn't that focused on where they were being interviewed, so I didn't get that impression. I thought that it looked like the opposite. Like these people have all grown up to live half lives with no loved ones because they're so, their lives are so fragmented by the sleep paralysis experience. Because you don't really see it. Like, I would like to have had a guy get interviewed on his couch and his two kids are like playing with blocks on the floor. And he's like, all right, yeah, I have a family, but let me tell you the real shit. I tell him one of them got married. I tell these kids monsters aren't real. I'm here to tell you they're real. Yeah, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm intrigued by how some of these people are able to carry on like normal lives or relationships at all, especially relationships. Like if you have somebody sleeping next to you and dealing with you going through this on a regular basis. Um, you know, I, I think you, it almost might've benefited from 
cutting the number of subjects by half and doing a little deeper dive on elements of their lives that are not necessarily directly sleep paralysis related, but more looking into, you know, like, well, how do you function? How do you make a normal waking life for yourself when your sleep is so often plagued by this condition? I can think of a couple of ways this could go. One, if you're only going to film these people in their homes, film them in their bedrooms. I think like only Mm. one subject is filmed in their bedroom, but like film them in their bedroom, like the place where they're most vulnerable. If you, if you want to make the movie that's sort of like insular and not explore their lives outside of sleep paralysis, like that would be a really cool and smart artistic choice. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you could go the other route where you find out like how, like how this affects their waking life. Cut the number of subjects in half. Eight is way too many. I can't even tell you all eight people or like what they look like. I remember four of them and that's it's, it. It's kind of a fucking movie. It's kind of unmanageable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then like spend more time with them and find out like, have they, you know, there's a segment where like some of them have like tried to get help. And I like to learn more about what that process was like for them more yeah. deeply. And like, if any of them have like had any measure of success, even if it was limited. Yeah. That is very glossed over, but I mean, I guess we're getting away again because, because that gets to be a different movie. This movie yes. is very built around delivering these spooky scenes on a regular basis. And you get away from that. I don't know that almost might, or do its benefit. That's that's it what it sets out to do, and it does a good job. It's, it doesn't really aspire to be that much of a documentary. You know what? That's okay. I've read, and Patrick, we talked about this earlier. I read a lot of um, like capsule reviews that said this movie was like ethically suspect, and I was like, well, I agree that it is on like in some level, not maybe suspect, but that like I think it'd be more interesting if it included more actual like science, not in a heavy-handed way, but. The movie does seem to aspire to make a horror movie out of real people's trauma, <laughs> now that I think about it. And I mean, I don't think that was necessarily intention. I don't know that anybody was hurt in the process, but well, I yeah, really be- wish the movie were more than that. Well, yeah, I guess I agree with that. I don't think it's doing anything morally wrong, because I assume all these people knew that that was the plan when they sure. went into it. And I even wondered about if they were consulted along the way you know if asher went to them and said oh hey does this look like your thing how could we make it look more like that you know but yeah i also kind of wish that it had aspired to more because i think it might have been more more interesting there's no relief for any of the participants it's i read one very brief review that said like it's just patients moaning and I was like, actually, yeah. Like, I feel like I'm a doctor and I'm just watching people complain to me, but I don't know how to help them because I'm oh. a fraud. We're going like, to have to wait for the Michael Moore documentary on sleep paralysis <laughs> where he takes these eight people and, and takes their beds to the, the Capitol lawn with a <laughs> megaphone and gets them to pass tougher background checks on shadow people. Rolls them, <laughs> rolls them all up to the office window of the uh, doctor from Dead Awake. Yes. Yes. Well, I think we've about exhausted our, our thoughts on this movie if we're already trying to make a Michael Moore version yeah. of the film now. So I guess we should wrap it up here. By the, the rules of our new format, this is now the point when Steven tells us what we're watching next episode. Yeah, tell us, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can call me Daddy. So I've had Oh, some... we can call Steven Daddy. There's a new hashtag. I've had some good gin this summer in addition to many other beverages, but I haven't really seen a good gin in the movies in a while. So we're going to watch Under the Shadow from 2016. It is a UK film in Persian 
about a gin. And the way I came about, I've heard this movie mentioned a couple of times on Shockwaves and other podcasts, and it has a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I had never heard of it until I actually looked this damn thing up. Uh, but I've been reading this short story collection by a guy from a writer from New Orleans called Nathan Ballingrud, and he wrote a story called uh, The Visible Filth that was made into a movie this year by the director of Under the Shadow called Wounds and also starred Dakota Fanning. And I don't think it's ever coming out, and I'm kind of upset about it. So I looked it up and realized it was made by the guy who made this movie that I've been wanting to see for a while that is miraculously on Netflix, and if you live in Michigan, will be playing at the Michigan Theater in October. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, what do you know? What do you know? Very yeah. weird that a movie from 2016, and you Google it, and it says it's playing at a theater near you. So we're going from shadow people to under the, under shadow. the shadow. Yeah, that, I guess that's the key. Yep. I hope uh, Jay shows up to deal with the gin. <laughs> if he does. Maybe we'll find the new Jay. Maybe. In this film. Maybe. I mean, can Jay ever really be replaced, though? No. No. Well, if there is a new Jay, we'll find out next time. Uh, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check us out online, everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com. Hit us up on the socials, aim on cast, and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. And, 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 and you'll us. Se- oh, well, yeah, you can also troll us. That's true. If you do, Chris might troll you back a little. And if you want to send us money, address that directly to Stephen, who's going to post his personal address on all our social media tomorrow. Right. Yeah, if you want to find me on Facebook, yeah, send your funds to me directly. I'll make sure that they're distributed evenly amongst the crew. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a very fair distribution. Thanks for tuning in for every horror movie on Netflix. I'm Patrick. I'm Steven, and also I, I'll chime in for Toby, I guess. And I'm Chris, as always. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.